Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, everybody. This is Derwin with the Blanket Fortress of Solitude, and I am interviewing a good friend of mine named Tim. Say hi, Tim. Hi, Tim. Hi, Derwin, I mean. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on. Ah, oh, my pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me. Tim is the owner of sort of a cultural touchstone uh, in my local community, which is the local comic book shop, which is Comic Carnival in Indianapolis. I'm fascinated because I grew up in a comic book store. My father had a comic book store in Kentucky, and then he had one in Alaska. And so I'm always interested in comic book shop owners. Now, Tim, you talked to me about your kind of broad international heritage and where your mom's from. Do you want to start talking about your mom a little bit? Uh, sure, we can start there. Um, so my mother was born here in Indiana, um, Muncie, Albany, Indiana, more specifically. But she, in the uh, mid-'80s, she had an opportunity. She was a medical technologist at uh, Methodist. And she was a well-respected medical technologist. I guess they had an opportunity to learn all these new tests. And she was one of the few people that would do it. She would go and learn how to do these blood tests. A medical technologist deals mostly with blood and you know urine and things like that, doing the actual tests for the doctors. So the doctors don't have to get their hands dirty, you know. She studied to do a lot of them. Well, she came to the attention of a sort of a headhunter that was recruiting for overseas hospitals and they liked her resume and they were she was making very little money she was a, a single lady living here in indiana and un, chronically underpaid i think things are a little bit better now for for nurses and medical technologists but they're certainly not great but um, she she had an opportunity to go and make i like twice her salary oh wow no no taxes huh. two trips paid for home every year and a, a bunch of holiday time which i mean she had some vacation here at, at Memphis. she'd worked there for 10 15 years 20 years maybe wow. I'm not sure. so she was very excited to go so she moved to saudi arabia wow. of all places now this again this is the mid 80s things were not quite as as, as dire in Saudi Arabia as they became after the far, fall of the Shah. So she moved there and she was just going to do it for a couple of years. You know, I think now we, nowadays we see sort of South American people coming to America and coming in for a, just a few months and making enough money where they go back and like, wow, I can, well, I can buy a house now. So that was sort of her idea. She, she'd save up a little nest egg and come back. But she liked it so much. It was not without its difficulties. She lived on college campus and a hospital campus. They were all sort of mixed together. You know, it was difficult. Like she had to wear a hijab. She had to wear, sure. this, you know, uh, she uh, on campus, they were allowed to do wear whatever they want. But if they went off campus, she wasn't allowed to drive for a long time. She wasn't allowed to go by herself to shopping or something like that. As long as she was on campus, though, she was fine. And she was a hard worker, so she didn't mind putting her nose to the grindstone and she got a lot of time off to travel the world. She traveled to Australia and Japan and Russia and I think Sri Lanka. She got to see the whole world and all around Europe, Germany, all that stuff. And, and she'd always wanted to do that. So she was so happy with that. And then she met who would become her husband, a doctor there, an oh, English wow. doctor named Nicholas Woodhouse. She uh, she met him and they fell in love and they got married. Wait, can, uh, you, can you pause sure. for just a second? Sure, sorry. So sorry. your awesome globe trotting mom, 
who yeah. is just packing up bags and hopping on planes and just running around the world saving lives meets a handsome British doctor named Dr. Woodhouse. That's right. I, I wouldn't, I didn't say handsome. Well, okay. <laughs> he was, yes, of course. Listen, was. man, if you make dashing... enough money, you're handsome. <laughs> like, there's That's enough right. zeros on your check. And uh, your mom it lives uh, a BBC uh, movie. Like, <laughs> like yeah. that, that's like a, yeah. that's like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like that, right? If only there was time travel involved exactly. and he was from another time, it would be the perfect BBC series. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Your mom sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, she, actually she is. And uh, Nick was awesome too. He, he uh, took took her under his wing and he made it much easier and well now she's married things are even easier in Saudi Arabia because you're allowed to do whatever you want with your husband your husband can have you do whatever he wants and he was not that sort of man but they could go out to eat or they could go shopping or whatever as long as he was with her so her life became that much better I should also point out that alcohol is forbidden in Saudi Arabia of course and being American and British they needed a little alcohol every once in a while to sort of <laughs> to, to sort of lubricate the social uh, interactions, right? So they would make bathtub gin. Ah. Yeah. They they had sort of like plastic uh, buckets that they would ferment stuff in. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yep. the two expat, the doctor and the nurse married couple are yeah. making bathtub hillbilly hooch out in the middle of the desert in Saudi Arabia. This is my favorite podcast ever so far. And I've recorded like 200 of these things. Yeah. Uh, There was like, uh, unfortunately, there was, there was no uh, like revenuers or anything like that. Pretty much because they needed the, the uh, help so much. The hospital was pretty much left them all alone. They were, they were sort of their own little enclave. They could do what, uh, whatever they wanted. And I should say here, you know, I'm I'm relaying this secondhand as a child about his mother. So, you know, maybe I might I'm beginning a few of the things wrong. Maybe it was maybe it was uh, Everclear instead of gin. I don't know. Well, I mean, I know they did wine too. They he <laughs> he became quite a quite a accomplished uh, vintner. If if it's strong enough, it doesn't really matter what you call it. <laughs> Just takes away <laughs> the pain, makes the hurt feel good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> you're so and and this is me being like a history nerd right here um so i do this other podcast too called the dead president society where we review obscure presidents your mom reminds me uh, and and is that your your father or the, the that's young, my stepfather, your stepfather. No, they, she yeah she she i was here i was um 18 or 19 when she left so sure. I, I was um, your, your mom and yeah. your stepfather remind me of the story of Herbert Hoover and his wife because he's a lot more than just like the depression guy because yeah. they traveled all through China and fought in a boxer rebellion and worked in like they fought the Chinese and they worked in like because his wife was a nurse and he would like shoot people as she was treating people and stuff. <laughs> and, oh, wow. it just kind of. It's got that whole world traveling Indiana Jones vibe. It's kind of what your mom sounds like. Yeah, she she is. It's amazing. Yeah, she she really did turn into that. My, um, minus the shooting the you know, Chinese and fighting rebellions and stuff. But right, I won't say Nick never shot anybody. He didn't shoot anybody that I know of. Let's put it that way. You know, it's uh, that's for the lawyers to decide. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so go go deeper into your mom, man. Is, is there okay? Is there more there? Yeah, there's a little bit more. So um, Saudi Arabia, uh, so the reason why they were so desperate for nurses and doctors, as I understand, was that it was halal, it was forbidden for them to, for a, a high-class person, uh, you know, they do have caste, I should sure. say caste person sure. there, to touch blood or urine or anything like that. So they needed trained foreigners to do that work that they weren't willing to do um and so as that became more obviously unsustainable you know they had you know like what do you send your citizenship to to college for if if if, you know if you don't want to have any how are you and how what are you going to do if 
relationships sour, you know, you, you need to have your own doctors, right? A little bit. Yeah. So, um, that, that sort of, uh, dried out, uh, I would say, and Saudi Arabia got a little more, uh, oppressive to the, to their, uh, expatriates that were over there. Uh Um, so they sort of made a sideways move to Oman. Okay. Now, um, my stepfather uh, is a he, so he deals with like diabetes and genetic diseases, and and he went over there to lead at, to Oman, which is a small country. It's not Oman, Jordan. It's Oman, which is near uh, sort of Iraq and Iran and Saudi Arabia and all that stuff. He sort of went over there to head their uh, research department, and as of this year now he's pretty much retired now though he still looks over there there uh, he's still in oman and he sort of unofficially oversees some of the stuff they do but sure. he's discovered like six diseases he did a lot of research on the bedouin popula- population of oman okay. and this like the sort of that because they're a smaller population and they're breeding amongst themselves, it brought genetic diseases sort of toward the forefront that he both studied and helped find uh, ways to treat. Wow. Uh, he, he was highly thought of. And in fact, the, the royal family of Oman, Oman, the grandmother of the, of the king, had him, him as her personal physician. So he was sort of like, yeah, he would, he would sort of like go, go back and forth between the college and the palace. Oman is a is a really strong ally of the United States. There's a, a base there. There's never been really any kind of friction uh, to see between Britain and the United States, especially Britain. But we have, there's a United States base there as well. It was just a, a smart move for them. They're much happier there. There's a lot of beautiful beaches. They're still Oman. there. They are still there. Wow. In fact, he he had, and this is something really to brag about. Yeah. He he was made uh, a citizen of Oman, and that's so he has dual citizenship. He's British and he's an Omani, um, and they just don't do that. It's just because of his long service to Oman, they allowed him to. to and then now he can sort of stay there, and they you know they get free medical care and stuff like that. So he was they, taking care of the king's mother. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and as you might imagine, you, you sort of feel a, a kinship to soft, you have a soft space for the person that's taking care of your mother, right? Of course. I mean, <laughs> what wouldn't you do, right? I, you know, I'd buy that guy a beer. Well, maybe not in Oman. <laughs> oh, yes, you can drink in Oman. It's good. Okay. Uh, yeah. they, they have a really interesting place. So if, if you go to a, a grocery store in Oman, of course, they're, they're a Muslim, so like sure. no pork, no alcohol, but... They have these like in an old fashioned bookstore where they have the pornography like behind a behind a curtain. They would have like pork behind a curtain, so they wouldn't. So the Amanis wouldn't have to gaze upon the pork or the alcohol. But if you were a dirty outsider, you could go behind the curtain and get your bacon. <laughs> go out the back door to where you belong. You eat exactly. the bacon in the alley. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man, I I love I love how like <laughs> it's like I remember when I was a kid. You go to the family video, and there is a place with the 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 the, the carpet and the fucking the the swinging doors. And my dad's like, "Don't go back there." Cause, yeah, like there's perverts back there, and I'm like, "I want to be," you know. <laughs> I was 13. I'm like, "What's going on back there?" Right, and exactly. I, right. And I go back there one day, and I'm like, "Oh, this is just dudes looking at boobs. Like this isn't." <laughs> <laughs> like this is not what I thought it would be. Yeah, <laughs> but it was like that, but with like ham. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And if you know you go for you go for six months without ham, you'll probably be thinking it's kind of like pornography. I would. Imagine, oh yeah, right? definitely. Like, oh, I gotta have bacon. Of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's transition into. You are a comic book store owner. How yeah. did you get into comic books? I, as a child, inherited, I will say, my my uncle will say stole, I inherited my uncle's comic book collection that he had left behind at his mother's house, my grandmother's house. Sure. And he was a boy in the 50s. Oh, wow. So he had a bunch of really great, like, old Superman, Spider-Man, you know, Richie Rich, Flash, 
Justice League. Um, stuff that's worth a hot penny. Yeah, all this 50s and 60s stuff um, that I remember being a child and being like, man, I, I cannot wait. I'm coming back next year. And I'm going to learn to read, and I'm going to be able to read these things because I would I would spend sort of the summer with, at my grandmother's often, sure. or a big chunk of it. Sure. So I uh, I remember coming back. You know, I like I'd look through these comics and make up my own stories. Yeah. You know, oh, the flying guy is you know gonna hit that girl with a with a bubble because yeah. she call, called him fat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I remember as it was really instrumental to me uh, learning, wanting to learn to read, to sure. get back and read those comic books and find out what was really going on. So that was sort of my, my gateway. Um, and then, you know, occasionally, you know, if my mother would go shopping, uh, she would say, OK, you go to the book book area in the in the grocery store um, and, you know, stay there and don't get in my way. Sure. Don't like pull all the sugar cereals into the cart or grab all the peanut butter or whatever. Just stay there and I read comics and then she'd let me buy one or two. So, um, yeah, I, I really grew up uh, being excited and loving comic books, love, loving that. And I read, you know, science fiction and fantasy and Lord of the Rings sure. and, uh, you know, um, uh, Jules Verne and all that kind of stuff. But um, I really, really liked comic books. And as I as I grew older, and you know, actually started having some money, mm-hmm. I invested, put some money into comics to have some some nice issues. And yeah, it, it always just sort of followed me. It wasn't my main focus a lot of times, you know. Um, but uh, you know, video games come along, and movies and art, and there's so many things to distract somebody. Oh, yeah. Pop culture and get lost into it. And then you realize, oh, I haven't done anything for a while. My lights (laughs) don't turn on. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Where's all my girlfriend's clothes? Yeah. Where's my girlfriend? She's gone now. She's across (laughs) the street with that tall guy with the ab muscles. That's on (laughs) me. That's my fault. (laughs) Um, So... Before you got the store, kind of like walk me through, you know, what were you doing? Where, what were you working? Kind of what was your life like? Where were you at? Yeah. So I worked for a long time for Pizza Hut. Okay. Um, I uh, worked my way up to manager. I was the manager of the uh, the high school road Pizza Hut, the one that was right across the street from, um, from the West Side Comic Chronicle. Sure. So as that, that, I don't know if I don't know if you've ever worked fast food, or, and you know pizza's not exactly fast food, but it, it's close uh, any restaurant deal, it, it's a lot of stress. Oh yeah, it, and it put a lot of stress on myself and on my relationships, and sure. you know you'd end up working open to close and go home and sleep for four hours and come back in and make the dough again. Um, could never keep anybody reliable on staff. Sure, um, and. On top of that, the guys above you were constantly sort of twisting the vice. Hey, you need to make more money. Cut those hours. Uh, You know, don't use so much cheese. You know, all that ridiculous stuff. Cheese? Cheese. Yes, cheese was the, the, was like the gold bars of the Pizza Hut when I was there. How many boxes of cheese you used. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, um, a man, a man's success is measured in boxes of cheese and Pizza Hut. That's yes. not a. That's not the dystopia I want to live in. <laughs> Too funny. But um, anyway, so I got out of there, and I, I worked a couple of part-time jobs. I was a. Uh, um, I worked as a assistant manager at Save a Lot. Sure. Uh, I worked at Target for a while, just sort of looking around to see what I wanted to do. Um, and there was an opening, uh, a, a good friend of mine who is now my business partner, Dan Gaines, he worked for Comic Carnival and I, I, Comic Carnival was my comic store of choice. Sure. And he said, Hey, we're looking for somebody to work some extra hours. And yeah, that worked out pretty well. And, you know, I started grading comics and I started, you know, sort of helping with the schedule and 
making displays. And anyway, one thing led to another, and I they made me for some an unbelievable reason they made me the manager um while they were doing all the hard work of you know actually ordering the comics and stuff um and then uh the owner mark hilton who uh, was another fascinating man uh in my life but he uh he's he started the comic carnival back in 1975 because he was uh he had been crippled by a machine accident at oh no yeah and he'd lost his arm and he could not find anybody to employ him back in 1974 and 73 um missing an arm Uh, in a a, uh you know a gainful employment way that's before the americans with disabilities act was it was very much before that and exactly right and one of the reasons why we need an american yes yes we do um but uh, so he decided to open a comic store. He'd always liked uh, Uncle Scrooge. Oh yeah, and uh, it, he was he was not wrong. He was right at the beginning of this sort of rising tide of uh, uh, movies. You know, the Superman movies, Star Wars movie. Oh yeah. Uh, you know uh, the rise of the, the you know Neil Adams on Batman, um, the Batman movie in the eighties. You know, he was sort of at the beginning of that, and he successfully built uh, a chain of stores which during the implosion in the early 2000s sort of dwindled back down to a single store but nonetheless you know he had the foresight to get in while the getting was good so that's great uh, so he decided to retire i guess is where the story was going Um, and he was looking for someone to uh buy the store from him and dan and i you know, looked at the financials and our wherewithal, and decided it would be a good idea. That's awesome. That wow, that takes <laughs> balls, man. Like that's, that's... I don't know, it was it was already working. So you know, it's not it's not like we're not we're not nearly as exciting as as Mark Hilton, who actually went from nothing. Uh, can I tell you a quick story about Mark? Please Hilton? do, please do. So <clears throat> when he moved from his smaller shop, he was he started. Uh, at I think Lafayette Square just like a little kiosk and then he moved he had like some boxes at a barber store sure. uh, and then he moved on he, he had a little tiny store I mean a tiny store um, on uh, college okay <clears throat> well when he wanted to when he saw that he was successful he wanted to move to uh, the long time established location in Broad Ripple of Comic Carnival which is on uh I'm forgetting the name of the street, but it's right beside the the post office. Sure, Carrollton. It's called Carrollton. And he w- he went to talk to the guy. <coughs> excuse me. Who owned it? And oh, uh, you start coughing, Tim. Oh man, got that COVID. Just a little case of COVID. It's okay. <laughs> um, no, I just got I my drink went down wrong. Sure. Anyway, he said. Um, you know, hey, I've, I've got this comic shop. I want to move into your place. And the guy was like, No way! I don't want comics. In store I, you know, I have a i have a nice i have a nice business a nice uh you know uh, strip mall here i don't a respectable business <laughs> exactly i don't want dirty comics in there dirty comics so so he wouldn't even really take a phone call he basically would try to get a hold of him and the guy would just sort of freeze him so he had his lawyer contact the guy and say hey uh there's a dress maker that wants to move in <laughs> so they set up a meeting and Mark ambushed him basically and with his financials and said look here's what I'm making here's what I think I'm going to make here's my down payment this is a real business let's do this and the guy was like oh okay yeah you're right okay this is this is the guy who got his arm cut off yes that guy is a champion yeah, yeah, like yeah, what a what a stud like wow like and it makes sense because, like, if you're if you're missing an arm in '75 and you survive, you got to be like on the ball. Like, you got to be like with it. That's great, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I guess my story is a story of being surrounded by more impressive people and um, you being know, in the right place at the right time. Sometimes success <laughs> is just being smart enough to know that, like, oh. I'm I'm in a good room, right? Like, yeah, like yeah can, I think you're right. Yeah. You can feel when you're the smartest guy in the room, and you're like, 
this does this I isn't assume, good I, it's never happened to me but i assume that's possible well like if <laughs> i'm the smartest guy in the room the bar is like the average is low like, i don't know about that <laughs> like, I don't know like I could read and they can't. So, but uh, <laughs> for you know my book publishing stuff, for everything I've done, I like you. I surround myself with people that are more talented, smarter, and savvier than I am, and <laughs> I'm kind of nice to talk to and funny occasionally. So everyone's like, "Oh yeah, we'll do that. That sounds great." <laughs> 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 I'll give that an A, man. You're a funny dude, for sure. It's yeah. If I have one talent, it's you know convincing people to do stuff sometimes. But <laughs> anyway, enough about how great I am. This is not the Derwin isn't uh, isn't Derwin cute show. I mean, not this episode. <laughs> the other episodes are the right, previous right, ten let's... episodes before this were a memoir about my life. So let's. <laughs> I'm trying to download the narcissism. Anyway, all right. Forward <laughs> about you, Tim. So. Do it. You got Comic Carnival. How long have you been the the the, the King Pumbaa of Comic Carnival? Like the, uh, the about ten years now. So wow, uh, I started working here about twenty years ago, in, in uh, two thousand. Okay, um, and around that time, shortly thereafter, we moved from Broad Ripple to uh, Keystone Avenue, uh, the Norgate Plaza. It's called, um, and uh, Broad Ripple was changing it was not it used to be sort of like a like a a shopping destination you'd go there there were there were antique stores and bookstores and movie stores and uh you know audio and video stores but um it changed into a bar situation where it's all about drinking sure late nights and um it was getting to the point where it was hard for our customers to park because everything became uh Bars. pay to park yeah and um so we decided and the and our and our the guy that owned our our uh, our store raised our rent to such a place where it was like oh we can be up like on keystone avenue oh. at that price so we might as well just move right sure so and he went i think he put a hookah bar in there after we left but um i've been in that hookah bar <laughs> there you go there you go yeah so we decided to, to move up here to, to, to Keystone. And then about 10 years being at the, at the, at the far end, uh, the Dollar Tree that was next to us said, hey, we're going to exercise our lease right to expand into the other space, that we, the space we were in, because they wanted to expand to have like refrigerated food and stuff. Wait, wait, the Dollar Tree had an imminent domain clause? Yes. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And obviously it wasn't, you know, what's more important than more square footage for a dollar store, right? <laughs> and that is eminent domain, if, if ever there was one. I mean, like, <laughs> wow, that's fucked up. I, <laughs> I laugh because I'm like, oh, that's really kind of dystopic. Like, Jesus yeah. Christ. Like, more dollar store. Yeah. Well, that's what we need is a bigger dollar store and less <laughs> independent comic book shops. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, fortunately, our, our landlord was nice enough to let us move to a different part of the of the same strip mall. Sure. So we were able to to move to where we are now. Much bigger location. The old store was was very cramped. Sure. Not ADA accessible, all that sort sure. of stuff. Um and we're in a much bigger space now, brighter, you know, sort of like a more modern comic shop. Our old comic shop was great, but it was like an old comic shop. It was dingy and dusty and dark <laughs> and hard to shop. Okay, so you've been working, uh, you, you've been involved in Comic Carnival for 20 years. You've been an owner yeah. for 10. Yeah. So how was March of 2020 for you guys? It was hideous sure <laughs> it was terrifying yeah it was uh disheartening i don't know if you i'm sure you remember but you weren't directly involved in retail so no. there were rumblings that something terrible was happening can you hear that thunder i can kind of scary um <clears throat> there were rumblings i said rumblings and then the thunder went so i that's on you i'm, I'm not claiming to be thor i'm just saying that happened 
uh, there are rumblings that that they were going to change, you know, uh, how how many hours and how people were allowed to interact. If there was going to be mass, and you know, and then all of a sudden they start talking about, hey, we're going to shut the place down. I mean, non-essential workers not allowed to travel. What does essential workers mean? Like, you know, I. I own a business. I'm essential to my business. Like if I'm not at my business selling stuff, it's going to go out. But you know, then it, it became clear how serious it was and that they only meant, you know, like gas stations and hospitals and, sure. you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic, they, it was no joke. Like they didn't want you on the road and it was seriously like a horror movie Yeah, to like walk around your, your, uh, your neighborhood and just no cars, yeah. no people, like everybody was inside, yeah. like animals started showing up. Like I remember there were squirrels everywhere because they're like, what, what's going on? Where's, <laughs> where's all the people, you know, um, the, all the dogs were inside. So like they weren't chasing the squirrels. So it was like yeah. a utopia for them. Yeah. Just for us. Yeah. I so, remember projections of like yeah. 15 million people were going to die by June of 2020. I, I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And now people are like, it was, you know, we're kind of disappointed it didn't happen, I guess. Like, it's like, what did you want? Like, they stopped that from happening. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> not like, not like, oh, it was all fake. It's like, hallelujah. We could have lost, you know, a gigantic percentage of our population. This is yeah. kind of a win, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't yeah, feel a, like it, I know, but it's kind yeah. of a win. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a real life win. Like sports make fake wins. Yeah, this is like a this is what winning looks like in real life, right? This is, this would be like after, let's say, four years after fighting Nazi Germany, and you come home and you're like, "Fuck!" Like you're just tired, <laughs> and there's, there's just a general sadness deep inside of all of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I bet that's for sure. Um, so anyway, more, how, how is you guys just do curbside delivery or? So for the first two months, boy, it's been a while, Yeah. but for the first two months, well, for the first month, we, we just had the doors locked, the lights off and that's it. We just, everybody stayed at home about, I want to say halfway through April, um, we started coming back just to sort of get stuff done, right? Like um, to 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 refill our back issues, to clean, to you know, to um, you know, reset some some uh, some uh, displays and stuff like that, just to sort of have something to do. Um, and eventually, our manager uh, Kelsey Simpson decided to do some sales online. She started doing eBay. She started doing what was called a claim sale, which she would show something on Facebook, and you could say you wanted it. I saw like that. Like an auction, remember- like a one bid auction sort of thing. What? I remember that. I, yeah. I follow your guys' Facebook page, and I remember those those what yeah. those sales you guys were running. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so that probably puts us at like. I want to say May. Yeah. And in in May, DC announced that they were going to start delivering books again, going outside of the normal delivery chain. So they, I don't know what their motivation was besides the fact that they needed money um, or why, you know, why they thought it was a good idea to jump the chain or whatever. But for a long time, comics had basically been a monopoly. One, and only one distributor of any size, Diamond Comics, was carrying comic books. And if you wanted comics, you went through Diamond. If you didn't want comics, then you didn't have to go through them. And DC left them for another, what what is now called Lunar Distribution. There was some heartache in that, too, because Lunar Distribution was uh, Midtown Comics, okay. which was a direct competitor to us. So basically, we had to give all our financials and everything. If we wanted DC Comics... We had to give all our financials to, you know, somebody who was a one of those, uh, one of those uh, shops that sold everything at a deep discount online. Like, yeah, that's you know sucks. the anti anti comic carnival, basically. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, so you that know, doesn't feel good at all. No, it doesn't, and it was it was very worse, and it's it 
they didn't. It turned out they didn't steal our information and rent rent uh, Mexico or whatever. That's but, good. Uh, so that's good. Um, and now we're living in a world where Marvel is now moving to Penguin Books. Okay. DC is still at Lunar. Uh, there are a couple other publishers are going through Lunar as well. And Diamond still has it doesn't have either of the two big two, but they have Image and Dark Horse and AWA and and. Uh, uh, source point now all all the other smaller comics the monopoly's comics. broken well sort of yeah um yeah i guess it is in a way it's better yeah. right the other part is if you want marvel comics you've got to go through penguin so like there's no competition direct competition but if you look on it as if hey a comic book's a comic book if you don't care if it's hellboy or batman or spider-man sure there are three avenues to go through if you just want comic books. I think in a little more granular way, there's still a monopoly for Marvel, a monopoly for DC, and a monopoly for... It's just, but, the monopolies are split and fractured, right? I, I, yeah. There's, it's, yeah. there's three monopolies instead of one big one. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it'd be like, I, I think we're probably all going through like one, uh, one uh, company for our tv and our phone and our internet right pretty uh, much yeah it'd be like if those three things were separate i guess you know it's like do you want to watch tv or do you want to do you want to watch youtube well i'd like to do both well then you need to be through these two things right? at supports most of my life yeah that makes sense uh, big, are they a big sponsor no no, no? they just i i paid them like- money What's that? Would you like them to be a spot? You should talk would, them up. I would. AT&T is a fantastic company. They've done nothing but great public service. And <laughs> I think that they're a very inclusive organization and uh, uh, supportive of women's rights. Okay. Wow. That's great. Yes. I, I'd pay you money if I was at did, did I do that right? Did I sell you it? Did, you did great. You did okay, great. Good. No hesitancy. <laughs> No roboticness. I I will I will sell out. Uh, I am no. I'm not selling out. I'm buying in, and there's a difference. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's not you're, my joke. Okay, I stole yeah. it from Tim Dillon. But <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so for a minute there, they weren't even shipping new books, right? No, like, no. For mi- for several months, yeah, uh, they were not shipping any books. What was what was that situation on the ground like for you? Uh, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the that's a big percentage of our of our uh, business and of course we were closed so sure. it didn't really matter you know at least i mean we weren't in a position to buy books anyway because we weren't making any money sure um but uh you know the fear was that if they came back it would be in some way that would not be uh, beneficial for a local comic shop. Turned out things are pretty much the same as they were before, except for the three dis- distributors. Um, it did also give them a time to sort of refocus. It's something I, I did like about that is they, you know, DC was publishing 52 comic books a month um, and they pared that down to a more reasonable, like I think they're probably at 25 now. So that was not a bad idea. And the same thing for Marvel. They dumped a lot of their their slower selling series and sort of restarted with new stuff (laughs) that's a great transition because i wanted to ask you because i stopped reading comic books i mean i watch all the movies and the tv shows and stuff um but i stopped i used to buy comic books on a monthly basis in around 2007 Mm -hmm. and i haven't really bought them regularly since then um maybe bigger wars 2 was that coming out when you were no, it was the first Civil War. The last okay, Civil War. Yeah. Cap getting shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the last thing I, I think I remember buying on a regular basis. What is your take on the state of the comic book industry now? Where do you see it going in the future? Uh, how is Comic Carnival doing now, right? Two years into the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let me ask answer the second question first. Sure. We're doing very well. Comics are hotter than they've been in a long time. Wow! There are there uh, there are s- some online resources that people are using that are informing them, wh- like to be excited about a comic that's coming up. Like, hey, there's going to be this new character, or 
you know, this, you know, somebody dies in this issue. And the comic industry has always had that sort of hype train, but this is separated from the comic industry. So these are independent people, okay. sort of t- almost like investment advisors are like, hey, you should buy this issue because we think it's going to be hot. Um, and, you know, it's not Marvel saying that or DC or Dark Horse or whatever. Um, Probably so, independent content creators. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And there's there have been some like web developers that are doing apps and stuff. Um, wow. So that's that's really helped. It's evolved. Uh, in a way. Yeah. Back issues as well are very, very hot right now. Sure. Um, you know, we're living in sort of a golden age of DC and Marvel movies and TV shows. And, you know, you think of all the characters that were in, you know, this month's Suicide Squad movie. Sure. Every one of those characters' first appearances, these are these are books that were valueless or like in the dollar bin or nobody cared. You know, Firestorm villains and people, you know. Uh, Polka Dot uh, Man. <laughs> Polka Dot Man, yeah. Uh, uh, what's he called? TDK, who's yes. called Arm Fall Off Lad and Legion yeah. Superheroes. Just the, all those characters' appearances are now valuable. I mean, you put and Nathan Fillion. You put Nathan Fillion in something, and it's going to turn into gold. That makes sense. I, I was excited, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yep. I, I love Nathan Fillion, and, oh. and uh, I always thought Arm Fall Off by Boy was a funny, funny <laughs> character. So I'm, I'm glad that they sort of used him. That's <laughs> the sort of thing you do when it's 3 in the morning, and you've already had your second pot of coffee, and yeah. you've got to come up with something. <laughs> well, know? for sure. And only somebody who had the success of James Gunn who was coming off that maybe even somebody that was in the specific situation of James Gunn like hey I'm like Marvel's biggest director and they don't want me anymore sure. and DC's like hey we'll let you do whatever <laughs> you want and he's like you said that but do you mean arm fall off lad is that how much I can do and they're like yes we trust you to bring out TD would you please call him TDK but which is the detachable kid yes um, <laughs> it, that makes so much sense because you know, we ask that you include Harley Quinn. That's yeah. all we ask. I mean, she she's a license to print money. I get it. She is, and yeah, no, like James Gunn, he he, you know, he had some stink on him at the moment, and Marvel's trying to like this himself, but he's also <laughs> helmed a billion dollar franchise, so he's smart enough to walk across the street to DC and yep. uh, say, "Hey, what you got?" Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and he he's, he's done very well. I, I don't know that... I mean, Marvel let him back in to do Guardians 3, but in, in the interviews that I've seen from him, I think he's sort of... He wants to finish Guardian 3. He wants to do his trilogy. But I think he's done with Marvel after this. I think he's like, I'll I'll do Suicide Squad movies for a while. I, you know? Yeah, you, you turned I, your back on me. I get right. that. Like, I... I yeah, it's kind of like, you know... You're dating somebody, and then they're like, oh, I don't want to date you anymore. And you're like, all right, cool. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to go yeah. somewhere else. I, um, Yeah. Okay, yeah. so the store's doing good. It's doing really good. So com- how the comic industry's doing was the other part yeah. of that question. Um, I-, I would say it's tenuously doing well. Okay. Uh, their sales are good, not great. Um, they have really done a lot of trimming. So there's not a lot more fat to be cut. There, there's, they've gotten rid of a lot of their expensive creators. Sure. Which, you know, that means you're not getting the same art and the same writing that you were getting before. Maybe it's better. They're using younger guys. They do, you know, they're, they're using a lot of South American uh, artists. Sure. Fresh um, ideas. Who are much cheaper than, than American artists. Um, <clears throat> but there's not, you know, besides the fact that, hey, I, I'd like to see, I, I I, personally like, you know, Neil Adams and Greg Land and sure. Bill Sienkiewicz and those guys. Um, but they're not, they're not, they are still doing some work, but they're not doing interiors. They're not doing the inside pages. Sure. Um, there's, I think they're sort of focusing their money on covers and then the interiors are by unknowns a lot of time. Now, when you say they're who who's exporting the art to South America? Like, are they just is it rising South American stars they're giving a chance to? Is that is that yeah, what's I going? Think so. I think I think that you know I'm not an expert in this, but the South American comic 
culture is real, just like the North American. Sure. And there's a tradition of, of uh, comics in South America. Um, and so there, there's all these artists down there that are practicing their craft, doing their own thing that is not in the American market. And I think DC and Marvel went down, you know, probably have gone down there, or at least I guess in this age of the internet, you just look online and be like, wow, this guy's really good. And oh, he, you know, he's, he's charging pesos instead of dollars. So <laughs> we get some him. of that, right? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> that's also a little bullshit, not from you, but I'm like, you know, Marvel's got Disney money. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't. I don't think the comics are making Disney money. But you're right. You're yeah. right. If you look at, if you look at comics as a springboard for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and yeah. the Marvel toys, you know, unfortunately, in this in this age of corporations being king, that's not how they look at it. They're like Marvel Comics. You need to, you need to cover your your budget and make us money. You know, whereas Marvel might say back to them, but. We gave you Iron Man. Like, how much more do you want? <laughs> you know, okay, okay. How about Thor? Okay, okay. How about Captain Marvel? Okay, okay. You know, like Avengers every, Infinity you know, War. Like exactly. Yeah. I mean, look at the top ten movies of all time and the billions of dollars attached to them, and a lot of them are Marvel. Yeah. <clears throat> or um, Star Wars, which is also owned by Disney. Like, yeah, Disney's doing it. Yeah, but I guess they—they're not doing okay by giving money away. I guess that's true. They're not looking at—that's the Uncle Scrooge, you know, mantra. Like I didn't—I didn't become rich by giving people money. That's that's, (laughs) yeah, no, yeah, that's one way to do it. But that's also kind of a—I don't want to do it that way. Yeah, and Um, you know, Disney would probably say, "Well, look at all the money we give to charity. We give plenty of money to charity. Like Marvel Comics is not a charity." You know, if they were like you're saying, if they were smart though, they would they would look at Marvel Comics as like a, a content generating machine. Yeah, right? like they would just pour money in there and find the best artists, the best writers, and stuff. Yeah, and it, it's a loss leader, right? Yeah, it should. It, yeah, be. I mean, it's not. It's it's actually it does make money. That's the sure. good news. But um, yeah, I think they look on it as why aren't you making more money? Like they're, tr- they're they've cranked the screws as bad as far as they can crank them before something breaks. Yeah. Like if, if you know they've they've you know gotten rid of all they they used to have a large editor staff that kind of like palled around and came up with ideas and all those guys are gone. Yeah. You know, um, they used to have like retreats where they'd all go to you know to a to a resort and sort of plan out the next six years of comics or whatever. And they don't do any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> I, I'm sure they're doing it over zoom, right? They've got zoom. zoom meeting, right? <laughs> some of my, some of my favorite people use zoom. Uh, it's right back at you. Uh, <laughs> okay, sir. Well, uh, do you have any other thoughts on the industry, on the future of the business, on comics in general, you want to impart before we hop off for the day? Um, I, 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 one more thing I think is really interesting is sure. that comics are the investment value of some very expensive comics. Let's say Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy 15, sure. Action 1, Detective 27. Those are the Ooh. first Spider-Man, Superman, Batman. The, the value of those comics are so astronomical that there are people now stepping in to treat them like stocks. Wow. In that... You can, so let's say this company has an amazing fantasy 15. They're not just going to turn around and sell it for a few million dollars. They're selling pieces of it off like stocks. And now you own, you know, a, you know, you own eight shares of amazing fantasy 15. They're they're selling. You can turn around and sell those. Now, if you take all those stocks, of course, and add them together, they're more than the value of that amazing fantasy 15. But you're thinking, well, you know, I paid $10,000 for, you know, this chunk. I'm going to turn around and sell it for $12,000 next year. So, it, yeah, there, there's there's some real heat on so, the high-end comic industry. That's... They know that's what happened with the mortgage derivatives in 2008, right? Like, <clears throat> Well, and like, you know what? 
I, I remember the head of the Fed saying, there's no way that <laughs> that they would ever work against their own best interest in such a way as to crash the market. That's ridiculous. Don't These are professionals. <laughs> well, and did they? Do you remember? I, I mean, I was in a hospital in Iraq in 08, 09, so I kind of rode that whole thing out outside of the United States. <laughs> but like, the- Thank you for your support. Oh yeah, no, I was a I was a shiftless nineteen uh, 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 year old pothead, and mom was like, "You should go now." So <laughs> I'm like, "I guess I'm going to war." Um, anyway, wow, it made you the man you are today. It, you know, uh, yeah, it really kind of did. Uh, so they're they're selling derivatives of high value comic books as financial products now. Yes. That's insane. It's certainly new. Oh, oh, there's no way. I mean, you know, if you make a buck, God bless you. I just, I don't know. <laughs> Der- when I hear derivatives, I, I remember, I think mortgage blocked or mortgage securities, right? And I'm like, yeah. oh, you know, so it, it yeah, it, yeah. If, if like somebody offers you like, like a bunch of stock in, in a Detective 27. And they don't check your uh, financials. That's, I mean, that's like if it's a, if it's a, if you end up underwater because of your comic collection. I don't know. There's, let's hope it doesn't get to there. And let's end with nothing in this podcast constitutes financial advice. And for any financial <laughs> advice, you should consult the certified financial accountant. Wow, what a pro! You're such I've, a pro, Derwin. You know, I'm all grown up now, Tim. You're amazing. Um, but. And to wrap it up, I just want to say that you were the first place I set up at with my team at Divided by Zero Books. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were the first podcast we did. Awesome. You and, and Cassie. Yeah, me and Cassie. Yeah. And, and and eventually the rest of the gang yeah. as the gang itself grew. G.I. Lowe. G.I.L.O. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He He's off. Uh, he, he's off doing things and still in the army still. Um, but I just want to say thank you because you gave us oh, a man. place to set up and you gave us kind of, you are our, whenever we go on the road, right in between waves, of the pandemic, you know, you're going to be the place we set up at first. And, and, and you gave us our first podcast, right? Cause I've talked to Cassie about that day and, uh, she told me that she just got really nervous and blacked out the whole time. She's not like me. I love hearing myself talk. I'll record podcasts and listen back to them yeah. and think, oh, gee, aren't I funny? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right, though, so that's good. But, you know, you're it's... not deluding yourself. Yeah, and, you know, uh, uh, and and uh, the wife agrees, so that works. <laughs> uh, anyway, sir, I want to thank you for hopping on. Thank you for mm-hmm. all the kindness you show me over the years. Thank you for all the support you've shown my team. It's my pleasure, Chairman, it's, uh, it's an honor to be on your show, and it's uh, enlightening to see what you're doing. It's great. All right, man. Thank you. Well, that is all for us today, and we will see you next Monday at 7 a.m.